0: Welcome to the
1: Grazing Grass Podcast, episode 93. We ended up just basically doing a taste test to figure out this is exactly where we wanted to go.
0: You're listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast, helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers. And every episode features a grass farmer and their operation. I'm your host, Cal Hardage. You're growing more than grass. You're growing a healthier ecosystem to help your cattle thrive in their environment. You're growing your livelihood by increasing your carrying capacity and reducing your operating costs. You're growing stronger communities and a legacy to last generations. The grazing management decisions you make today impact everything from the soil beneath your feet to the community all around you. That's why the Noble Research Institute created their Essentials of Regenerative Grazing course to teach ranchers like you easy-to-follow techniques to quickly assess your forage production and infrastructure capacity in order to begin grazing more efficiently. Together, they can help you grow not only a healthier operation, but a legacy that lasts. Learn more on their website at noble.org slash grazing. It's n-o-b-l-e dot org forward slash grazing. Be sure and listen in the upcoming events for grazing courses coming near you. On today's episode we have Nathan Stuckey of Stuckey Family Ranch and we talk about the process he took to get started in the grass-fed beef industry, and why he made those decisions to go that way. It's a great episode, and I think you'll enjoy it. Before we get started, 10 seconds about my farm. This is the time of year I'm just dreaming about green grass, wondering how soon I can start grazing. I'm trying to plan for the year. But also, we are getting ready to sell sheep or lambs that we lambed out last year. We'll be taking those to market later this week. Not much there, but enough of that. Let's talk to Nathan. Nate, we want to welcome you to the Grazing Grass Podcast. We're excited you're here today. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be on. Nate, to get started, can you tell us a little bit
1: about yourself and your operation? Sure. I am a, I guess you would call it a once removed rancher, generationally wise. Um, Had both grandparents on my mom and dad's side, both raised cattle. Kind of skipped a generation, but I've had that itch or that bug to always want to do it since I was little, and that kind of led me to being here. I live in Kansas City. Our ranch is in Fort Scott, which is southeast Kansas. Kind of went the unconventional route of getting into this by studying at KU as opposed to studying at the state, which is the big ag oh, school yes. in, in Kansas. Um, and then just kind of worked my way into,
0: into being where I'm at. So what was your field of study at KU? I studied economics. Oh, study economics. That's that's a pretty good background um, going into agriculture. It is. It's kind of,
1: yeah. I guess you would say, more just kind of looking big picture or expanding yes. your horizons as opposed to narrowing your field
0: of study. Here we are. True. Yeah. So when did you, um, you've always had this itch. Did your Your grandparents, did you visit their farms, ranches as a kid? And that kind of built that desire to have something of your own? I did. So
1: my grandpa raised cattle until I was probably five or six and started with. We lived kind of on, I don't know if I would call it a farm, but we had some acres. And I got a bucket calf when I was three, which kind of helped, helped drive that desire and want to to raise cattle so and then I did I did a few things in high school with buying steers when I was you know 15 16 we put them on pasture from the spring and then we'd sell them in the fall so had a little bit of experience with ranching I guess to some degree or some experience with cattle but This was a completely new adventure and operation that we jumped into. And when did you jump into it? So we jumped into it in 21. And when I say we, it is our family ranch. My brother, sister, and I, they are silent partners. Kind of some financial backing to help the operation. I am the president, if you will. I'm also the day-to-day laborer
0: and everything in between. Well, first off, I have to say I'm really impressed. If I was on a venture with my brother and sister, it'd be hard to keep them silent. So good job there. Well, I will say that that's kind of a funny story is that
1: they were to start very much silent. And then one day I had to have my brother come out to help me at the ranch and Had to treat a cow for for pink eye. Went down and um, contacted neighbors first. Nobody could help me. Ended up having to rely on him. Took him down with me. Um, I told him, hey, we've got this this cow that's got pink eye. We're going to go out. We're going to lasso it, hold it tight, and I'm going to spray its eyes with pink eye. He goes, fine. I'll go down and I'll help you with that. As we're, as we're heading down to the ranch, he asked me, so how many times have you done this? And I go, oh, yeah. oh, I've never done this before. I bought the lasso today. And so then he immediately was like, oh, my god, Like, you have no idea where you're getting into. I'm like, no, I don't. So we got down there. Get kind of, you know, we get the cows close. I try to lasso. I miss. Brother gets fed up with me trying, says, Give me the lasso. I'm going to get the cow. He goes over there, lassos the cow, looks at me like, hey, look what I did. And that cow yeah. takes off like a shot and just drags oh. him through the pasture. Oh, no. And I am, I am, I'm giggling so hard that I couldn't even have sprayed the cow had he got it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so after that, he, he basically said, I'm. I'm not coming down again and I'm not I'm not gonna do any more labor with me. Oh yeah. And yeah. I said that, that that's pretty fair. I understand. Yeah. My
0: my brother comes out sometimes. My sister does too. And they'll help whenever we do dad's cows, but usually once every few years they come out and then they're they help a little bit and then they're good for a while.
1: Yeah, it's gonna be a lot of coaxing before I get my brother to come down there again.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, So to get started in 21, were you able to buy some land to get started or you find a property to lease? So we bought some land. We had a,
1: a friend of ours who he bought 40 acres um, in Fort Scott. And then this parcel that we bought, which is 60, is catty cornered him and came for sale. And he said, hey, I think this is a really good opportunity. You guys should look at it. So we went down and viewed it liked everything about
0: it and decided to get started oh yes yeah well very good and when you got this property um was it fenced what do you have in place and what do you have to do to get it ready calling it fenced is questionable at best Uh, we we had
1: walked it when we first looked at it and saw a bunch of cow droppings in the pasture and the um Realtor or agent showing us the property said, "Well, the fence is good; no cattle have got in here." So we kind of knew that's not a hundred percent accurate. So oh, yeah. when we bought it, we decided let's clear the fence rows all the way back and put in five strand high tensile wire.
0: And that go pretty good for you. That did it. It went well. Um,
1: cleared a lot of areas and issues back. I mean, I don't know how old that fence was. Probably. 70, 80 years old, everything was growing through it. I mean, there was no way to really rebuild it. It was going to be just kind of patchwork at best and getting through there. So we just made the executive decision. Let's just kind of start over and get everything out of here so that we're not constantly having to go in and repair
0: and update and replace and just kind of craft. Oh, yeah, yeah. And when you you found that land, did you get it with the thought you're going to do grass-fed or you, you're you going to do cow-calf? What was your initial thoughts on livestock?
1: Yeah, the initial thought was we were going to do cow-calf operation. Um, I kind of done a bunch of research going into it and knew what I wanted to do. And so it was just kind of getting it ready to be operational. That would make sense for us.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. And at this time, uh, were you familiar with some regenerative practices? Had you read some? Where was your journey on that kind of knowledge? In fairness, not 100%. I knew that
1: I wanted to do grass-fed because that gave me a competitive advantage being a small farmer as compared to trying to compete with the big boys in their operation. Oh, right. Yeah. So that's where we kind of got started. And then from there, it was... A lot of reading, a lot of research, a lot of YouTube, all those things that kind of led me down this regenerative
0: path. Very good. Did you, um, getting started, did you know what direction you wanted to go with cattle, with breeds of livestock?
1: So I'd done a bunch of research on that leading into it, and I knew I wanted to do American Wagyu. Because I felt like there was a really good premium there for that product, especially on grass-fed. Knew from research that 100% Wagyu doesn't do well on grass and also what it costs to buy register, re- registered Wagyu cattle are <laughs> pretty gosh darn expensive. So, oh, yes. yeah. Trying to find the happy median between um, you know, knowing that we wanted to have a Wagyu incorporated into it but also needed cattle that are going to produce on grass and finding finding the right genetics that make that work.
0: So how'd you go about that?
1: Honestly, a lot of Googling and just searching. Um, I just started kind of looking up farmers in our area. I I had looked up Red Devon from everything that I've seen about them on grass and actually ended up calling a Red Devon breeder not too far from us, about a couple hours that was 100% grass-fed and said, hey, this is kind of what I'm looking at. I want to do Red Devon Crossed with Red Wagyu with their Akaushi. And I kind of thought, I, from Googling at least back then, a couple of years ago, was kind of only one that kind of had thought of that. And then when I talked to them, they said, oh, we're actually starting to cross some of our cattle with, with Akaushi. And so then we worked out a deal to purchase some from them.
0: Oh, yes. Very good. And we looked at, I think, Akash... Uh, how would you say that? Yeah. Akaushi.
1: It's confusing.
0: I just Aka-ushi. say red
1: wagyu. That makes a yeah. lot more sense.
0: Yeah, well, I look at it. I pronounce... I have trouble pronouncing words anyway, so throw in a weird spelling and it's got an okay. issue. We had looked at the red... Um, just to incorporate into limousine on Dad's herd mm-hmm. and try it out, and then we never we thought we may AI, AI some, and we ended up not going down that path. Now I've got a neighbor that that has some. Um, at least he's got a. I think he's got a percentage bull, mm-hmm. and I haven't got a chance to look at it and see. But I'm I'm interested in how that goes. So you were able to get some red wagyu cross with red Devon. And so that kind of, for us,
1: felt like the perfect combination. We've got grass genetics from the Devon crossed with the red Wagyu for the marbling and the name and the end product that it made a lot of sense to go down this this path with
0: these cattle. I've got a little tangent to go on real quick. Wagyu, have you ate Wagyu steaks and meat before? Yes, I have. What's your I, what's your I tangent? have not. Oh, you have. No, okay. I haven't. So I've I've heard lots of things, but I've just I just haven't. So is it as good as what people say?
1: I think so. If you get the right genetics and they've done it the right way, yes. Now, I will caveat that with there are times where it feels like it kind of the term wagyu where the brand wagyu gets watered down when you see it oh yeah with somebody like orbeez came out with wagyu burgers or something
0: oh yeah Um, and that's
1: more my price range right which is i mean (laughs) i get it but i think if you if you find people that do it right you you can find a phenomenal product there what people are willing to pay for that product is is substantially higher than what they will pay for anything else, especially because people have heard that term, so that right. that right. that makes them want it. Um, and and there are some really good other operations that you can you can get wagyu uh, grass fed from too out there.
0: Well, and like you mentioned there, public perception and perceptions reality for so many people, um, so. They already have this belief where they're being told this is is top-quality beef, and then when they have it, confirmation bias. I mean, Angus does really good steaks, really good meat, but at the same time, you can do a lot of good things with other breeds, but Angus has done a tremendous job in marketing Angus-certified beef.
1: Yes, they have. I mean, they're definitely the top association for marketing I mean, they are light oh, yeah. years ahead of just about anybody else out there with with a breed association yeah. for what they are well, able I'm... to. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, yeah, they've just done a great job. I recall in the, I want to say late '80s, early '90s. Probably late '80s would be more accurate. Maybe mid '80s. Um, the dairy industry really promoting butter, real butter, and margarine was coming out had been out and it was taking some of the market share and it was really a concern but the dairy industry in my opinion and i don't have the big picture we were milking a few cows in my opinion they approached it wrong they didn't start um doing any blended products or anything they were just so anti margarine and and anything that's not real butter and they and in my opinion they should have embraced some of that and um capture some of that market early on rather than giving it all up but hindsight that's that's my opinion and i don't have a lot of numbers to speak for that's just always what i thought they should have done but angus has done a tremendous job because they got on board of marketing their meat or beef early i i couldn't say when but early and they've just done a tremendous job of that yeah they have cab
1: Label that can get put on beef sells it for a premium. I mean, people see it when they go to grocery stores when they're going. I think even McDonald's had it for a while. I don't know if they still oh, yeah. do or not. But um, people are willing to pay for that. So if they, you know, they now I will tell you for the average consumer between Angus, a Hereford, Red Devon, whatever breed you have, you put the beef out there, they're probably not going to tell a difference. But that association has done a phenomenal job oh, yeah. promoting
0: promoting that product. I I struggle because I grew up on Holstein beef, and I just think that's the greatest thing ever.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think if you get if if you buy your beef from small local farm town, you know, ranches and farmers, it's probably going to be a lot better product than you are going to get going to the grocery store. Whether that oh, yeah yeah Holstein Longhorn. Wagyu, Angus, whatever it is, it's just a it's just a better
0: eating experience overall. Yes. Okay, let's jump back now. Uh, so you had the opportunity, you got some red Devons, some red Wagyu um, crosses there. You bring them on your farm. How'd that go? It went well. So they are
1: from grass-fed operation like we wanted to run. So it wasn't too much of a change for them to get used to what we were doing. They were used to rotational grazing. They were used to not being pumped with a bunch of antibiotics or chemicals or anything like that, which is what we were very about and we don't do. So that, that made the transition very smooth to have them incorporated onto our ranch. They pretty much hopped off the trailer ready to go like it was day one. We didn't have to do a whole lot of doctoring or anything like that or supplementing
0: when you brought them on did you were they um cows bred heifers what'd you buy so we bought predominantly yearling heifers
1: and then we bought a few steers
0: just for
1: having something we could finish out and kind of test the market with if you will
0: Oh yeah, because if you start with cows and you're going to raise calves and you're going to finish those calves for your grass-fed market, you're talking four years down the road before you have a product. Exactly.
1: So, for us too, especially with me being first time jumping into cow-calf, I wanted, I knew what I wanted to get to, which was we're going to breed them, we're going to do this, but I wanted to just have cattle on the property and give me six months of working with them and being around them and just experiencing what happens with cattle before oh, yeah. we started to focus on breeding and producing calves for going forward.
0: So that those first six months, let's talk about that just a little bit. Was there anything that you're like, oh, I I didn't realize this? Flightiness, I guess, would be one in the beginning. Um, oh, okay. Just being... Yeah having
1: them not used to a new person being out there and right. getting them to be comfortable with somebody new in a new environment. Even though they came from grass fed rotation grazed system, still getting them to respect temporary hot wire, having to go out there and get them back into paddocks and that sort of stuff was all, all new and all a big challenge for for a while.
0: I just uh, purchased a few Corente uh, Longhorn cross heifers that are bred, and I brought them home. and The guy I, I purchased them from, I purchased animals from him in the past, and he has electric fence, but he doesn't he doesn't do rotational grazing or use polywire or poly braid like I do. Well, I got those heifers home. And, of course, the weather turned cold because I got them home, I guess, last Saturday I went and got them. Could have been Friday. Anyway, weather turned cold. I put them out there. My electric fence is not going good. Um, I, I've gone around it. I went around it today. But it's not shocking them as hot as it should. Mm-hmm. And I've got to do some more tracing out there. But they're not respecting my fence at all. Which, normally what I do, if I bring in an animal, I put them in a pen I have up at the house near our corral, and I put an electric fence across it, and I give them a few days. I thought, well, they they come from this gentleman. I've had good luck in the past with his cattle. I'll just put them out there. Um, they, They, I mean, within five minutes of being up there, they'd stuck their head under a fence. Right. Like, no. That That's on me. I should have kept them at the house. Should have strung an electric fence out there, made sure it was really hot. Let them touch you a couple times. But the weather was changing. I thought, I want to get them up there. It's about a mile from our corral. Mm-hmm. So I thought, I want to get them moved. And, um, you know, always the matter if you try and hurry and you don't do stuff quite like you need to, you find out you should have done it the right way. Oh,
1: yeah. Way. Yeah, that was... I mean, one of the things for us... To that we don't have any, we don't have any corral structure. We have, it's just acres and fences. So they kind of had to learn by trial of fire, basically, you know, getting used to getting used to it. (laughs) Um, yes. And you'll have also, you know, kind of one of the frustrating things of running single braid or poly wire is you'll have deer hit it that aren't used to being, you know, seeing that all of a sudden it shows up in the pasture, that sort of thing. Um, But if you keep with it, eventually they'll they'll respect it as long as oh, it sounds like you kinda had a little issue with fence not staying hot and we've had that issue too. We don't we don't have any electricity to the ranch. So everything is on solar panel. And when we first put that in, didn't know anything about solar panels, didn't understand how much we needed and that sort of thing and Fence would stay hot for a day or two, and then it'd die, and then we'd have issues and that sort of thing. Now we've kind of learned and worked through that, that we're to the point to where if the fence goes out, the cattle will still respect it and not come close to it for a while, which is is kind of what I wanted. You know, we live over an hour from the ranch. I need something that I know with the electricity fails, having that five-strand fence is still going to
0: keep them in. Right, yeah. And, and that's a great thing. Once you get them trained, even though power goes out for a little bit or something, um, it's usually not a problem. Yeah. yeah. So just on that, that subject, what do you have as an energizer? How do you have it set up so that you're, you're making sure you're getting that fence hot?
1: So we have Speedride Energizer. I wish I could tell you the exact model, biggest one we could buy just to power everything. And then we've got three, probably 18 by 30 inch solar panels that are now connected to it with about 15 ground rods in there.
0: Well, that's, I was going to ask you, you read my mind about the ground rods because that's one area I find people like to skimp on and that affects the quality of your fence. Yeah, I noticed that when we first, the guy that put them in was pretty minimal on those. And so I
1: just went back in and just put as many as I could out there in the area that we've got and just said, I'd rather have more than not have enough. It's not that expensive oh, yeah. to, to buy those and put those in. It's worth it every penny.
0: Yeah. And so I, I assume you have a marine deep cycle battery on it i do yes and it's got a year warranty and it lasts
1: about a year every time but i kind oh, of have yes. it you know i've, I've got it now to where i know like okay it's typically it's going to die about the first november before we get into the winter season and i go out there and i just replace it no questions asked let's, oh, start, yeah. let's start fresh because that's the worst is getting into winter and you've got to go replace a battery and You know, ours is put to where it's basically in the middle of the pasture. And depending on the weather condition, you could be walking a quarter mile plus carrying a battery. That's not fun. You do that one time and you realize, okay, we're not doing that ever again. So you get in front of it, you know. Year one, you learn. Year two, you realize, all right, let's get let's get this fixed now or replaced now so that we're not having the same issue we had last.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And actually, that. That is what I'm trying to figure out if my batteries, um, what exactly. I have a solar um, panel on this out here. It's worked great. But other day, not putting out, well, it was completely dead. I brought the battery to the house and charged it. Took it back up, but still not not doing right. And um, so I, I disconnected. I had some electro netting up on some stuff, so I took it off. And I thought, well, it's it's doing about a, a kilowatt, so I'll let it be today, and tomorrow I'm going to go up and trace it out. Well, I'm going to completely disconnect it and, and just start from the beginning and see if I can identify where the issue is. Typically, I don't have an issue with it. It might be the battery's getting old on it.
1: Yeah, it kind of happens. You kind of learn. There's been times where I've thought, the energizer is bad or whatever typically always goes back to battery i don't know what energizer you had maybe you mentioned it or not but feed right for us has been fantastic we've got the remote that we can turn it off and on from wherever we're at in oh, the pasture yeah. which is if you're getting into this i recommend having one of those that is such a that's such a lifesaver and a game changer to be able to just go out there and say okay i gotta work in this area or wherever and turn it off and on from any spot and check everything it, it it's a night and day advantage to have that
0: i i have a cyclops uh, energizer uh-huh, but i have a Speedrite remote which means the remote doesn't work for the energizer but i love the voltage reading if i'm losing amps anywhere it gives me a direction on it uh-huh. i really like that tool um It'd be really nice if I had that remote control energizer with it um, so I could turn it off. But I have to go back to the energizer, flip it off, go do my stuff, turn it back on.
1: I'll tell you a funny story about turning it on and off. We first started and I had my parents out there to help me just do a few maintenance items around there. Simply, Mainly because my dad was around cattle most of his life, so he's familiar with it understands it and then i was trying to do some work on the fence and this is before we understood how much we needed to have solar panel wise and we just had a little little unit we bought from like tractor supply that we thought was going to power this whole entire thing clearly did not it would last for maybe a day or two and and would shut off there just wasn't enough power getting to the battery to the battery charge so i'm out there trying to do some work on the Energizer, getting it figured out what's going on, what's causing it. My dad's in another part of the pasture at this time. He's not taking a phone call, typical. (laughs) I'm trying to crawl back and forth underneath the fence to figure out what is causing issues. At the same time, he is checking the fence for electricity, so I'm turning it off, crawling underneath it, he sees that it's off. He's turning it on. I'm crawling back underneath oh. to do some other stuff <laughs> and I am I am getting hit. You know, I'm getting I think it's 10,000 volts of best we have just oh. right through my back. I can't figure out what's causing this. Now I think there's like some sort of short going on in the fence. Oh, yes. That that's causing me to get hit. I'd get out, turn it, check it, I'm like, okay, it's hot. Turn it off. Crawl back underneath to go try to reassess with the battery and the the energizer situation, he would check in again, realize that it was not on. He'd turn it back on. I'd fall oh, back underneath oh. it, get hit again. Oh, yes. And then eventually. And that doesn't feel good. I, no, it does not feel good. And then eventually I got with him and I was like, what? what are you? There were some very choice words said between each other that a father and son should not say to each other.
0: So, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's one of those you have to apologize later. I'm sorry for what I said in the moment. That's um, right. That's
1: yeah. right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you got these steers there, cattle, some cows, that, or some heifers, I think you said, mm-hmm. there. What did you breed them to for your first year on those heifers? So we took all of
1: them. We ai to primarily red Wagyu again. We did, yeah. We did some that was a, a cross between red and black Wagyu.
0: Oh, yeah. Did you have any calving problems with
1: them? We have not. Now, we had, I'll be honest with you, some calving issues from not having cattle completely comfortable with going through the corral and all the process of getting them AI'd. And when we tried to round them up to get them into the corral for getting them synced and all this other stuff, kind of overworked them. And so... We ended up with not as many taking as we would have liked. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, the ones that we've had calves from, very, very happy with.
0: And that brings up a, a good point there. When you're AI cattle, you've got to have a way to get them in, and you need them to remain relatively calm during the process. Uh, and earlier you'd mentioned you all don't have too many too many pins in way yes. of a corral. We have, so we how have, did we have you, nothing. Do, How'd you do that then? (laughs) So I'm I'm
1: blessed to have a really good neighbor. Those that 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 is a huge, huge benefit of where we're at. So I've got a neighbor that's got a portable corral. I've got a neighbor that's got a chute. And then got another guy that does the AI. So just the tough part is working with all of them to get schedules to line up so we can get everything perfectly. Set up to be at the same time. Oh, yeah. And then, uh, you know, year one, because they weren't fully, I don't know if train's the right word, but they weren't used to me. Took a lot more work to get them into the temporary corral, get them ready to go, do all that stuff. Now, because we've gotten them trained to alfalfa cubes, I can go out there into the pasture you can put the temporary corral wherever you want and I'll have them caught in fifteen to thirty minutes. They'll just stall me right in like it like it's nothing.
0: Oh yes, yeah. And are you continuing to AI each year or do you all end up purchasing a bull?
1: So year one we didn't, which was a mistake on my part. That was kind of being penny wise and pound foolish. Should have bought one just for cleanup for having calves we could take the sale barn to market that was that was that was on me not thinking fully through it this year we ai'd and then found a the person close to us that had a bull who was born to lease that we got. the uh bull we got was just just a run-of-the-mill angus bull um he had two a red and a black and i asked him what sells better at the sale barn and he said black and i said we'll <laughs> take that one
0: yes yeah well at a certain point, the the most important factor becomes getting those cows in calf absolutely pregnant. Yeah, so that, you have something to market.
1: That is that is one hundred percent the most important thing. I think personally, I mean, it, having something you can sell is is a, is a huge factor. Whether it's oh yeah, you know, you got it AI to the genetics or the breed you wanted, and you can sell to specialized other ranches or farms that do the same thing you do or if it's a calf you can sell at market at the sale barn that is light years ahead of not having a calf that's born out there
0: right yes now on ai in your cows did did you sync them so that they were able just to come over there and ai them all timed or how did how was that managed
1: yeah we did simply because it's hard to keep neighbors from not using their own equipment we we decided to think an ai all at the same time and really wanted a tight calving window
0: oh yeah when you're ai and that's always or or timing typically sinking your cows and then being able to ai them works better for most beef people Um, now when we dairied we very rarely sinked anything outside some heifers but um i'm thinking this year I'd like to AI a few, and, and my initial thoughts are I'll go in and sink everything, AI everything, and then put a cleanup bull on them, which, I mean, it'll be one of my south pole bulls, so I'll be happy with the the breeding, but um, trying to AI them one time first.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good way. I mean, especially for young ranchers or people getting started, you know, depending on what your end game is, Obviously, that that factors into it. But if you're trying to get the best genetics you can for the cost, AI is a lot cheaper option than going out and trying to buy the most expensive registered bull you find.
0: I, I completely agree. Now, I have to say, I say that's my plan. I actually have another plan that I'm tossing around in my head as well. Um, because I'm debating whether or not I should be raising any replacements. And I like the I like raising my own replacements, mm-hmm. but I think profitability takes a hit when I'm raising that heifer to a cow and maybe I can buy in animals that will fit my system. You know, I'd like to think at this point I know what I'm doing, which I don't. Um, so I'm tossing around both ideas right now. Not sure which way I'm going to go because I love the idea. I love breeding. I love the mm-hmm. the genetic aspect of it. And I don't like the idea of not raising my own replacements because I know those animals. But when I start figuring things, I think, you know, maybe I'm not looking at this right. So I've got plenty of time to think about it and debate it. Um, we'll get it figured out. Yeah, I think that's, a, that's an important thing to look
1: at. I mean, I, I think I'm kind of with you on the same line of thinking is i am i want to control the genetics as much as possible too i want to know exactly the lineage or what i'm putting into it as opposed to trusting what i'm hearing from somebody else right so i i fully get what you're what
0: you're what you're talking about there yeah now let's let's talk a little bit about those first steers you got have you finished those and marketing them or where are they on their journey? So we
1: have. We finished them and sold them last October, November, sometime in there. Um, oh, okay. And sold most of them. We still have some beef that we're working through. Primarily, it was just word of mouth to friends and family saying, hey, we've got quarters or halves available.
0: Who's interested? And kind of just going from there. How'd that turn out? Did it? turn out like you thought it would i would say
1: yes and no we have had really good feedback from the beef that we have sold that people are oh yes really like it really excited about it but we didn't sell out of everything like we thought we would oh Um, yes which is which is a tough tough spot to be in you take x amount into the butcher and then you've only sold y you've got to come up with a solution what you're gonna do with the rest of the beef? So, oh yeah, I'm holding I'm holding some beef in, in a deep freeze here. My brother's holding some in a deep freeze at his place, and we're just kind of kind of selling that as we go now.
0: Yeah. And did you find that that um, cross finished pretty easily on grass for you? It did. It's it's a it's a great cross. It they get fat and they're
1: happy. The marbling on there is really good. I would say it's probably grading out choice if I had to pick I'm not an expert on the USDA finishing system but just by oh yeah some googling and comparing what we've got very tender um, great eating experience
0: oh very good very good did you when you're you're finishing those steers on grass did you do anything special to get them finished did you um was there any gotchas when you're going through that process
1: no, we haven't done anything different. We've we've looked at, you know, maybe the last couple of weeks or a month going forward supplementing with more alfalfa or oh yeah. Maybe even beet pellets and I know there's some questionable whether or not that considers 100% grass fed or not, but looked at doing something different, but the end product has worked out great for us just because oh, yeah. we we've, we've we've finished them out longer, I think a lot of times people finish cattle out to just when they hit that weight and they don't give it kind of time to mature. Oh, yes. And, you know, so we've, we've, we gave our cattle three full years out there before we took them in. And I think that has really
0: helped with the flavor and overall. Eating experience. Oh, very good. Yeah. And you know, just that giving them time, we we pencil everything out. I was talking about what I'm going to do uh, if I AI my calves or, or if I'm going to possibly not keep replacements, what's that going to do? We pencil all this out, but in reality, um, the best laid plans don't always work like we think they will. And timing on finishing a calf, a calf's going to finish when it finishes, and um It's really tough to say they're going to finish on May 21st or whenever you say, because you got to work with that animal and what your forages are. And there's so many factors in that.
1: Oh yeah, there are a lot. And especially for the small producer, it's, Hey, we've got a time slot that's here or (laughs) we can do another one in three months. When can you get the cow, in? you know, when can you get those steers in and you've got to be able to work around that. It's very tough to get them to finish exactly the way you want as a as oh, a small yeah. producer in this this day and age, and I don't there's no issue with with the butchers I mean they're trying to just book it up, and they good on them to have it set up to where they can be fully booked and only have time you know here or here, and you've got to choose oh right, yeah, um but it does make it a little harder on the the finishing product you're trying to
0: sell because. oh yeah, so very true, yes, so you finished that set this coming year did you go back and get some more steers that were yearlings to keep the process going so you have some each year yeah or have you got calves that'll finish out this year for you so calves will not finish out until the year after that's what i i was thinking but then i thought you know maybe math isn't my subject so i thought i better check
1: no good question so we're going to we'll supplement with some we'll buy some steers to finish out this year um oh and yeah we've got Luckily, found enough other people that kind of produce beef the same way that we do that we can we can go to them and say, hey, this is how many steers we need. What do you have? Can you help us? And if they've got inventory, then buy from them. And feel confident oh, selling
0: that product because it's raised the same way that, that we do. Right. right. Yeah. Uh, one more question before we get to the overgrazing section. Uh, when you went in on that land... And getting it set up, did you just start working with the forage that was there, or did you go in and add anything, do anything special there?
1: We haven't done anything special yet. Um, I did look at working with NRCS on taking a piece that before we had the previous owner had used for row crop ground. Oh, yes. And getting that back into grass production. But it just didn't quite work out with what we wanted because they had to, or their requirement was the cattle had to be off the ground first, that piece of land for a certain piece of time that has our, our water for the winter on it. So that didn't quite work out. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And so, um, really liked that idea and wanted, wanted, really wanted to pursue that because of the cost sharing and, you know, how they kind of help with all of, all of that oh, yeah. side of the operation. But I didn't want to have to go walk a quarter mile or more every morning and chop ice for cattle to drink out of out a
0: pond. Oh, yeah. Yeah, all those other considerations got to be considered. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, Nate, it's time for us to transition to the overgrazing section where we take a little bit deeper dive into something about your operation. And today we're going to talk more about focusing on the end product. Yeah, I think
1: that was kind of where starting out I got stuck or I don't know if stuck's the right word, but too focused on would be correct, I guess, was I was I focused on when I wanted to be able to finish the cattle as opposed to when the cattle should be calving and when they should be growing and had to kind of flip that after one calving cycle and realized this isn't this isn't the right way to be doing it we need to be more in sync with nature um, unfortunately it took you know took a pretty big hit there because we had to change the whole entire breeding season around to accommodate that but know that going forward that is putting us in a position to utilize forage better than what we've had
0: you know, with that breeding season, I think I've heard, and I'd like to attribute this to somebody, and I can't think who says this, but I know I've heard it, that, you know, the the calving season is the place that that farmers have the most area to, to make money, that they're calving out of sync with nature and, or at a time that's not working for their forages, and they could really save money or or better produce their animals if they were more in sync or, or just working with their forages. You know, for instance, my dad and I, and I bring us up a lot because we're kind of a contrast. Dad's got a fall keving herd. I kev everything in the spring. The last couple of years, we've been talking about this and I use so much less hay than he does per animal. Uh, his cows are milking into peak lactation when we're starting into winter and we usually we're we're able to stockpile some grass so so we don't feed a great amount of hay but we still feed a fair amount and we've talked about changing that Kevin's window for his herd but the logistics of doing that do you go six months without a calf do you wholesale sell the herd and buy all new animals in and if you've looked at prices lately That's pretty scary. Do we go six months? I don't know. We're talking about it, but as of now, we're still keving the way we were because that's a big change that we haven't quite figured out the direction we're going with that.
1: Yeah, that's a tough one. I understand exactly what you're saying. I don't know if there's a way to kind of piecemeal it. Maybe there is where you kind of slowly change the breeding season to get to where you want. You might end up with some really bad
0: months. I don't know exactly, but... Yeah, and, and that's what we would end up if we go, if we try and push them to a shorter uh, calving interval, mm-hmm. you're going to go through some months you don't want Kevin that way. If you push them to a longer calving interval, eventually you're going to lose half a calf in there because you're pushing them longer each time. Yep. Um, but you're going to go through some months you don't want Kevin then either. So, um, stand Pat right now, uh, as we think about it and consider our options. So, you know, our main focus has always been on
1: the, the end product, or I think we figured it out has, has worked. We, we ended up kind of just basically doing a taste test to figure out this is exactly where we wanted to go. We ordered a bunch of grass fed, grain fed steaks from different operations, different breeds, and kind of just had a, a blind taste test with, with family over the holidays one year and decided, okay, this makes sense. This is how we're going to pursue this. This is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to going to build, build the herd. Toward...
0: Is that where you identified, hey, Wagyu is the way we want to go?
1: Mm-hmm. That That's exactly right. We did a bunch of different ones. Like I said, um, honestly, we, we tried Highland. We tried Piedmont to see, we tried just straight. Thre- grass-fed from the grocery store. We did grass-fed Wagyu from First Light Farms. We did grain-fed Wagyu from Heartbrand and some other ones from local and just grilled a bunch of steaks, cooked them all the same and said, hey, rate these. And then did did an evaluation and said, okay, this this is kind of the top, top of the line that people like the most and that's where the operation.
0: Oh, very good. And that's an excellent way to begin with the end in mind and um, figure out what you like and goes with that. We we talk about we have not produced any grass-finished um, beef, and we've talked about doing it. Um, my wife and I've talked about it a lot. However, when I say that, to be honest, we haven't really ate grass-fed beef. We We have traditionally finished beef with a little bit of grain, Mm -hmm. and that's always what's in our deep freeze, and we haven't gone out to buy any. So one of our first things, we're going to finish the steer so we can have it before we even try and and market any just to make sure we're on the right path and we like it. I think that's Um, a good way to do it. I mean, it really is. Finish it
1: out, and at least with us, you dry age it, Twelve to fourteen days, it works great. Oh yeah, and the product's been good. And if you want to sample some steaks, let me know, and I'll just send them your direct.
0: Oh okay, I'll keep that in mind because yeah, I did. So pasture poultry probably it's probably ten years, fifteen years ago. I got some Cornish crosses. I built a a pen um, like Joel's Salatin, the the meat chicken pen. Yeah, and I purchased 50 of them and I raised them in it and the first thing we did I thought we're going to put up these for ourselves if we like them then we'll move the next step and see if I can market some I think the price point's really tough on those especially where I live but I thought I'm gonna try some so we did that first set butchered them got them processed and my wife's like I don't like them it doesn't It's not flavorful. I said, it's chicken. It's flavored from whatever you put on it. Um, She was not a fan. So that was the last pastured poultry that I did. Now, I I have talked to her about maybe getting some Freedom Rangers and trying a little bit slower growing ones uh, and doing it. I haven't yet because I do believe the price point in my area is just markets it out of my out of the people here. So. I don't know, but yeah, if you don't love it, it's hard for you to market to other people. Yeah, absolutely. You I'm... don't have the conviction behind what you're selling. You so don't. Yeah. You You've got to be fully
1: into it. Like you got to try and go. I I know this product is good. I know it's it's good for the consumer, and you've got it. You got to fully be behind right. it
0: yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. Nate, let's move on to the famous four questions. Same four questions we ask of all of our guests. Our first question, Nate, what is your favorite grazing grass resource or book? Good question.
1: Probably give you a couple. I'm reading Joel Salatin's Salad Bar Beef right now, so that's top of mind. Oh, yes. Um, but I also think another really good one is Comeback Farms by Greg.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, both excellent choices there. Our second question, what is your favorite tool for the farm? Can I give you two answers on that one? Yes, you can give me as many as you want.
1: For actual tool itself is fence pliers. Those, for what we have, build a fixed fence. They also work as a hammer. They're pretty universal for a lot of issues you're going to run across in terms of day-to-day operational problems.
0: Oh, yes. Yeah,
1: The other one, for us and for myself, good bag of alfalfa. Once you get them cattle trained to that, you can get them to do a lot of things that you could do without having to, you don't have to have dogs, horses, machinery. You can just get them to follow you just about anywhere you want to go.
0: Yeah, I, I love cows following me as opposed to me driving them or trying to get them to do anything else. If they'll just follow me, it's all good. Yeah, I I love it about
1: a ninety percent of the time, except for that ten percent where I'm working in a certain area and they just are just right up on you because they think you got some treats for them.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Hazard of it. Yeah. Our third question, Nate. What would you tell someone just getting started?
1: For somebody just getting started. You definitely want to do your due diligence and do your research before you jump into it. I would say before picking out a piece of ground, walk it, look at it, do an assessment of the water, the fence, the forage, meet your neighbors, talk to them, come up with exactly what your end product is, whether that's you want to finish cattle and sell To your friends and family, whether it's you want to raise cattle that are just, you're selling the calves. To a sale barn, whatever it is, figure out your end game. Whether you want to be the marketing specialist that focuses on the end product. Or if you want to be more of just the land steward, figure out your knit and go from there. Um, But I would also say, no time like the present to get started. Do your research, have a general idea, and then jump in and get started. There's a lot of things you can read about and have an idea about, but until you experience it, you're not going to know how to deal with it. There's going to be a lot of ups and downs in this industry. You're going to have calves born, you're going to have cows die, you're going to go through a lot of highs and lows, but don't feel like you have to have all the answers before you get started. And there's a lot of really good books out there. There's a lot of great content on YouTube. There is. I mean, your, your phone is a information highway to anything to help you get started.
0: Very good.
1: And Nate, where can others find out more about you? So we have an Instagram, just Stooky Family Rant. And if anybody wants to get a hold of me, I love to talk cattle. Wonderful, Nate. We appreciate you coming on today. Cal, I've enjoyed it. You take care.
0: You too. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. I know I did. Thank you for listening. And if you found something useful, please share it. Share it on your social media. Tell your friends. Get the word out about the podcast. Helps us grow. If you happen to be a grass farmer and you'd like to share about your journey, Go to grazinggrass.com and click on Be Our Guest. Fill out the form and I'll be in touch. We appreciate your support by sharing our episodes and telling your friends about it. You can also support our show by buying our merch. We get a little bit back from that. Another way to support the show is by becoming a Grazing Grass Insider. Grazing Grass Insiders enjoy bonus content monthly Zooms, and discounts. You can visit the website, grazinggrass.com, click on support, and they'll have the links there. Also, if you haven't left us a review, please do. It really helps us as people are searching for podcasts. And I was just checking them, and we do not have very many reviews for 2024. So if you haven't left us a review, please do. And Until next time, Keep on grazing grass.